From Los Angeles, please welcome the president of the Academy, David Rubin. Good morning, everyone. I'm coming to you from the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures at the entrance to the Oscars experience, where you'll soon be able to feel all the excitement of standing on the Oscar stage yourself. With the museum's official opening coming this fall, fans will explore behind the scenes of their favorite movies and discover the magic of filmmaking in person. This morning is an annual tradition when we announce the nominations for the Oscars. All the nominees are selected by members of the Academy, a diverse community of filmmakers from around the world. I'm delighted to share that this year's Oscar ceremony will take place April 25th at both LA's historic Union Station and the landmark Dolby Theater. And now, it's time to deliver what you've all been waiting for. Hey there, strangers, and welcome to the long overdue Oscar episode of Spro and Lee Take on the Academy. I think it was back in January we recorded a respectable two-hour discussion of what we thought was a realistic look at potential Oscar favorites. But as it turned out, we were wrong, and the majority of the films that we discussed did not end up making the AMPAS cut. And we quickly realized what we had was really only barely an Oscar discussion. And then we got busy with our little to medium-sized lives and kept putting this episode off. But thankfully, Spro, the workhorse of the two of us, insisted that we come back together ASAP. So here we are, mere hours before the ceremony, finally ready to present, postulate, propose, prophesize, preach, protest, promulgate, proclaim, and most of all, pretend. Pretend that anyone gives a flying shit about what we think. Yeah, well, kind of get to that. Like, I guess I would just say that you have sent me a variety of podcasts talking about the Academy Awards. Um, some good, some not so good. And I want to say that upon all that research, that coming away, if it's not like the Hollywood Reporter or Variety or Deadline or any of like the, you know, the international rags that are talking about the Oscars, I feel like we could pretty much say that we are one of the best Academy Awards podcasts that are out there. So I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us and trusting us to hear our opinions on these selections for this year's 2021 Oscars. I had a friend, <laughs> I told him that you and I were doing this and he uh, he was like, oh, I thought you guys uh, are went off the air. I was like, I don't think podcasts <laughs> go off the air, but he was... Uh, he was having a joke. He was having a laugh at my expense. Well, it's funny. Like, So thinking about what our first episode that we recorded that will be, uh, I guess, buried from now on, are you happier with the selection in April of what the Academy doled out than what we were looking at back in January? It's hard because we talked about like 20 to 30 minutes on Mank, and I don't think Mank's going to make a splash at this Academy Awards. Yeah. I mean, I, it'll take production design. I, I don't think anything is even coming close to beating it for that. But uh, did we really discuss 20 minutes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like we spent a long time on I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which didn't even get nominated <laughs> for anything. Um, right. But I still think was, I mean, I've watched that movie three and a half times now. I think it's quite engaging. Well, it's definitely a really good adapted screenplay. I was pretty sure that it was going to be nominated for that. Kind of surprised that Borat beat it out <laughs> for a yeah, nomination. I'm, but 
I'm not sure what's going on there. As we'll get into this Academy Awards, we started this off saying that I was the super fan of the Academy Awards. I'm very nervous for this year's Academy Awards, only because there's a couple of these. And we're all, today, we're only going to get into really the top six. We're going to get into the acting categories. We're going to get into the director. And we're going to spend most of our time on the eight Best Picture nominees. But there are a lot of movies that I think were overlooked in this Academy Awards. And there's a lot of movies that there's one movie in particular that was probably my favorite film of the year. And I think it was in your top three that I think is going to be severely overlooked for political plays in this year's award ceremonies. I have a short list myself of of movies that uh, and in some cases just specific nominations that I feel were big misses and should have gotten some kind of light sh- shown upon them. You want to get into it, man? Sure. Is there anything in the bottom 18 that you want to talk about? When you say those numbers, I, I have a vague <laughs> idea of what <laughs> I... Uh, so, screenplay, screenwriting, cinematography, production design, documentaries, uh, international films. Is there anything oh, uh, you yeah. touch upon? Yeah, okay. documentary. Documentary. I watched a couple of the documentaries for this year, but the clear standout is My Octopus Teacher. I remember the day when it all started, seeing this really strange thing. People say an octopus is like an alien. But the strange thing is, as you get closer to them, you realize that you're very similar in a lot of ways. It's a hard thing to explain, but sometimes you just get a feeling and you know there's something to this creature that's very unusual. There's something to learn here. I had to have a radical change in my life. And the only way I knew to do it was to be in this ocean with her. And then I had this crazy idea. What happens if I just went every day? But you realize that there's a line that can't be crossed. about your family or child. I hadn't been a person that was overly sentimental towards animals before. I realized I was changing. My relationship with people, with humans, was changing. What she taught me was to feel that you're part of this place, not a visitor. That's a huge difference. I mean, I felt like it was it was Charlotte's Web. It's like watching a real life Charlotte's Web. Like the octopus is Charlotte, and that Australian guy is uh, or New Zealand. Is he Kiwi or is he uh, an Aussie? I think he's Australian. I don't know. I'm going to let you make that mistake. All right. <laughs> 
that white dude with glasses. He's he's uh he's Wilbur. He's Wilbur. Um, I I remember f- I felt the same just like shot in the heart when I was a little kid watching Charlotte's Web that I felt at the end of My Octopus Teacher. And it even had that that coda that Charlotte's Web has with all the little babies and the ones that can't fly away that stick around to be buddies with Wilbur and listen to him complain about life mm-hmm. and how his, their mother they'll never live up to their mother. <laughs> There should be a sequel where they just eat him. They're like, I hate this fucking pig. So I was talking about our mom. I almost feel like the ending was a little anticlimactic of how it just kind of, I don't know, faded away, I guess. I was satisfied with the ending. I didn't think it was anticlimactic at all, probably because I always just assume somebody's going to die in the end of a movie. So, But yeah, I was I was very pleased with that. Crip Camp would probably be my second pick, but, but Octopus Teacher is... Just so intimate, and I'm not the kind of person that likes the, to sit down and watch Blue Planet, but uh, that was a nature f- film that I, I really dug, so. I agree. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to get taught by Octopi. Um. I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that Tennant takes uh, visual effects. I think there's enough respect for Nolan within the uh, Ampass community that they'll give him they'll give him like an attaboy. <laughs> All right. If you don't have anything else, let's get into the acting categories. Okay. In no particular order, at the bottom of my list is actor in a supporting role. Here were Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of the Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, Paul Racy, Sound of Metal, and Lakeith Stanfield for Judas and the Black Messiah. Who do you think it goes to? To me, it sounds like Kaluuya's the shoe-in. Mm-hmm. Well, let me make it plain. Kill a few pigs, get a little satisfaction. Wait on, wait on. Kill some more pigs, get some more satisfaction. Kill them all, get complete satisfaction. You can murder a liberator, but you can't murder liberation. You can murder a revolutionary, but you can't murder revolution. And you can murder a freedom fighter, but you can't murder freedom. And that was probably like one of the first movies I saw because it was filmed here in Cleveland. I had a lot of uh, friends that worked on it. It was on it HBO really, Max for a little bit and then they yanked it and now it's 20 yeah. bucks. Let's talk about that right quick. What the hell is... So they charged $20 to watch one of these films at home. And somebody made the argument with me. They're like, well, it's understandable because you could get eight friends together, which you can't during the COVID times, to all sit down and watch one of these films. And nobody I know is getting 
getting eight friends together to sit down and watch Anthony Hopkins in The Father or Minari or Judas and the Black Man. Like these are high art films that the people going to spend money on them are probably a lot of the times either taking one a date or two going by themselves because like us, they're film nerds, you know, and just want to go see a film and none of their friends have even heard of it. I mean, I would pro- I would spend how do 20 just seemed like it was well out of the realm of possibility for me. We're like $15. Okay, $12. Perfect. I, that's a movie ticket. I would spend that and pop my own popcorn. But $20 just seemed like a ridiculous amount of money to spend on a movie that you might not like. Yeah. Well, I mean, none of the movie theater experience. Yeah. So I, I, my only comparison was going to be pretty much be the same price as going to the theater. You can pop your own corn. And, but uh, the best point that you make is, you know, people aren't going to be like, Hey, let's all get together and check out Minari. You know what I'm (laughs) like? If people are getting together and like everybody's throwing down $2 on uh, a movie, it's going to be Kong and Godzilla. Right. right or Black Widow when it comes out, it's not. <laughs> it's not going to be one of these. But yeah, it was these that they were charging. I couldn't. I can't think of another movie. Maybe Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four. They try to get people to pay for that. But yeah, it was Even always now- it was these high art academy films that they were that I was like, these are the only things that I find that are twenty dollars. And I literally tried. I tried to jailbreak my Fire Stick, and <laughs> they have. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't figure it out at my old age. I you know I jailbroke one like five years ago, but I could not do it. I'm okay to. I'm I'm okay with supporting it. I'd rather pay the ticket price and then buy some soda and some corn and support the theater as well. I really, I really need to get back to the theater, man. I miss it. I know. I feel you. So back to actor in a supporting role. One actor in this category, I have just been enamored with for at least two years now, but Lakeith Stanfield, his roles in Get Out in right now, specifically Atlanta, I just binged again. And then Judas and the Black Messiah, kind of surprised that he was a supporting role in this film because I thought I followed him the entire way through the film. I almost feel like it should have been a best actor nod, but there are rules and and time lengths and lines and everything like that that get in the way. But if I was to award this award, I would go either Lakeith or Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami. Daniel Kaluuya was good. Kaluuya is always good. And it's kind of like trial, I guess, like you're not supposed to look at their past works or their <laughs> their past deeds. But like when I think about how I think Daniel Kaluuya was amazing in Get Out. Like I still watch Get Out and just I can't imagine how he's pulling some of these emotions that he is with his just his eyes. Judas and the Black Messiah was a great film. I don't think his performance was as good as he was in Get Out. I'm worried that Sasha Baron Cohen is going to win because I I don't think it's a he's gotten so much praise for this performance that feels virtually effortless. He's an indulgent smart ass with a New England accent who's oh my god he's smart too turns out it's like fuck this is so stupid and i know he's based on a real guy but i would be fine with leslie odom i, I think he really embar- uh, embarrassed all the other actors in one night in miami except for except for he and malcolm x were the best i loved one night in miami but yeah no totally agree with the sasha baron cohen i also like paul racy though i mean i i felt like his character looks like someone for whom life has been a constant struggle. I mean, the man looks weathered. But I also think that he's probably the most realistic mentor character from any movie that I've ever seen. He's not this... Mm. 
He's not this like, hey, I'm here to save you. He's like, hey, I'm here to support you as you save yourself. And that that line where he refuses, or right before actually, he f- refuses to comfort or assist Ruben anymore and tells him, Ruben's like, I got to get back to my girl. I got to get back. You know, we're going to go on tour and make music. And he's like, uh, you sound like an addict. I was like, phew. It was tough. That was tough. Uh, honestly, I, as long as it's Sasha, not Sasha Baron Cohen, I'll be happy with whoever wins. <laughs> Which is funny with like the Sasha Baron Cohen too. He, even in an ensemble cast, he had the friend with him the entire time throughout that movie, you know, like kind of just to play off of. So to feel like Sasha Baron Cohen stood out in that film, I don't think anybody necessarily did. I think of Mark Rylance way more than yeah. I think of when I think back to that movie. And I haven't been thinking about that movie very much, to be honest. Mm-mm. It kind of went in one ear and out the other. But yeah, Mark Mark Rylance's performance was the one that stood out for me the most. So moving on, actress in a supporting role. We have Maria Bakalova for Borat subsequent movie film, Glenn Close, Hillbilly Elegy, Olivia Coleman for The Father, Amanda Seyfried for Mank, and Yeon Young-joon. Yu Jung-yong. It's okay Yu if you Yung, stumble. Yu Young-jong? Yu Jung-yong. Yu Jung-yong. Anyway, I love Olivia Coleman and everything that she's in, and I'd be okay with her winning this. She's... I mean, the whole movie, The Father, is decimating, and we'll talk about that, but she is always fantastic. And the way she is with Anthony Hopkins or Rufus Sewell or Gatness, Mark Gatness, they, uh, she's fucking great. But it sounds as though Yu Jung Yoon is the favorite, and that's just fine by me. Okay, okay. Aigo. <gasps> Aigo, strong, strong boy, mm, strong boy, mm. 왜 이런 소리 처음 들어봤어? 데이비사, 너는 strong boy야. 할머니가 본 사람 중에서 제일 strong boy야. She plays Sunja, the an unconventional grandmother whose chemistry with her grandson David is really the heart and soul of the Yi family story. She, well, no, that would be a spoiler to say that, so I won't say that. Did you see Minari? I did. I did. That was one that I paid the $20 for once I couldn't figure out how to hack it. And I was glad I did. I think it's going to be you, Jong Yoon, but I would be totally fine with Olivia Coleman. And I don't, hmm. I don't want, I'm very weirded out by the fact that Maria Bakalova was nominated. I don't get it. (laughs) Here's the fun, like when it first happened, I was excited because I was like, wow, that is a completely different film for the Academy to look at, right? Uh Um, And then I watched it and I was like, this is a good performance. Like, I, I don't know who this woman is, you know, so I can't really say like, she transformed herself or she immersed herself in the role. Like that could just be how she is. And, and Sasha Baron Cohen casted accordingly. It wasn't until I saw news of the world and I saw Helena Zangle in her performance of a, per, of a fish out of water type story. Right. That I was like, Ooh, I think Helena beat Maria. And I would much more prefer Helena to have gotten the nomination over Maria Bakalova. I, I, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Uh, I just, I just don't I agree understand. With <laughs> I just don't understand. Still don't understand that nomination. It's, it's not an Oscar performance. I don't know what they're trying to do by recognizing it. It, it wasn't as good as the first Borat film. It's not going to be remembered. I don't know, man. Well, that's why you know when we go back to adapted screenplay, that's you know putting the screen 
screenplay for this film over I'm thinking of ending things by Charlie Kaufman. Like, and what the fuck yikes. is it adapted from? That like old Russian. <laughs> like seriously, what is it adapted from? I don't know. Is it? Is I don't it know. Considered adapted was... because the Borat or the first Borat was an original work, and then they've adapted it from that. That doesn't make any goddamn sense. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I understand. I don't understand either of those nominations, but um, uh, boy, I re- really I hope this I is... Glenn Close doesn't win too. <laughs> Even though I she was actress in a supporting role, movie. though, there's at least three. Like acting actor in a supporting role, I would probably agree with four out of five of them. You know, so that's a solid category. Actress in a supporting role, three out of five. I'd agree with. I agree with Olivia Colman for the father, Amanda Seyfried. I, to me, she was the only good thing. Or one of the only good wow. things I would say about me. Wow. Wrong. Um, Wrong. I thought she was good, I, but know, it's not an Oscar performance. If they give it to her, it's just going to be like, ooh, look at this ingenue. I hope she doesn't get it either, now that you bring it up. I don't. I hope she does. I would agree with uh, Minari, and I would agree with I would agree with you totally about who should win the Oscar. But as when we were talking back in January about Mank and trying to figure out why Amanda Seyfried, to me, was the only thing that I actually really enjoyed about that film. And so if we're going to give the award to anything concerning Mank, I would give it to Amanda Seyfried. Oh, Lucy Collins was fantastic. Cinematography is fantastic. The whole, yeah, you're wrong. You're so wrong. <laughs> it's, not, it's not. It's not Fincher's best. I wouldn't even put it in his top five. But it's there's no there's no one bad in that movie. There's not one bad actor in that movie. Mank is the bottom for me of the Fincher films. I would revisit every Fincher film. I would rewatch every Fincher film over Mank. I would even put the curious it, case of Benjamin Button. Oh no, 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 no! I would put it. I would put it at about a half step above Panic Room for me. I like seeing Fincher sort of through this very humanitarian lens of this drunken <laughs> buffoon take this like Marxist view uh, retrospectively of the golden age of Hollywood. Mank was nominated for 10 Academy Awards, which is like getting up there. You know, Ben-Hur was nominated for 12. So it's kind of like, is this one of the greatest films of all time to be nominated for so many awards? <laughs> it's, it's kind of my question to the Academy of why we celebrated this movie so much. And maybe I'll watch it again with the subtitle songs because sometimes that helps me disengage from trying to figure out or just overly criticize, I guess, if I have two parts of my brain working at once. But I just, it's, I did not it's a film. It. It's a film for people that love movies. <laughs> We're talking uh, yeah. about we're talking about movies when we should be talking about actresses. All right, well that perfect because that's my next next category to go to actress in a leading role. We have Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andra Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand for Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. What do you say? I know who my favorite is. And right now, the Vegas odds on who's going to win is one of the reasons why I am somewhat dreading these Oscars. Andre Day? No, it's Carrie Mulligan. I couldn't stop thinking about my time here. Yeah, that's an extraordinary place. It's an unusual request. Yes, but I left under unusual circumstances. I left because of what happened to Nina. Hmm. Nina Fisher. You don't remember her? Maybe you remember Alexander Monroe? Oh, yes, Alexander Monroe. He actually just came back and gave a talk here. Oh, he's a 
He's a really nice guy, really smart. Are you a friend of his? No. So you don't remember the accusations made against Al Monroe? I don't. He took a girl, Nina Fisher, the one you don't remember, back to his room where he had sex with her repeatedly and in front of his friends while she was too drunk to have any idea what was going on. She was covered in bruises the next day. Handprints, I guess you could say. Was it reported? Yes. Do you know who Nina spoke to? You. Oh, no. And out of these five performances, I find hers the weakest. Hmm. To me, Viola Davis, I mean, I said it back in January, and I will say it next year if we have to do a season three episode on burning down the house for Viola Davis. But sh- there's no competition. I mean, I've, I've watched them all. Her only competition is the Dark Horse, which is Vanessa Kirby. And Vanessa Kirby was fantastic. She shouldn't even be the Dark Horse. So I would say Viola Davis. I'll rank these my in order of five. And if you want to do that, I'll give you time. Viola Davis, number one. Vanessa Kirby, number two. Andre Day, number three. Francis McDormand, four. And Carrie Mulligan, five. Yeah, I think I would put Viola and Vanessa as a tie. They're just two completely di- different roles. I mean, Viola Davis winning here is reminds me of like Marlon Brando winning for The Godfather. It's this very royal performance. I mean, in some ways, she is a little bit like head of a mob. (laughs) I mean, she controls, she's got a lot of agency and control in this film, even though it's like towards the tail end of her, of her reign, just in the same way that it was sort of tail end of uh, Vito Corleone's reign in The Godfather, Um, giving this to her for what is not a lead role, just because her name is in the title. She is not the lead of this film. Giving it to her as the the lead Oscar, I think is, uh, would be a, a huge sign of respect. And I'd be okay with her winning. They don't care nothing about me. All they want is my voice. Well, I done learned that. And they're going to treat me the way I want to be treated, no matter how much it hurt them. They're back there right now calling me all kinds of names, calling me everything but a child of God but they can't do nothing else because they ain't got what they wanted yet. Soon as they get my voice down on one of them recording machines, then it's just like I be some whore and they roll over and put their pants on. They ain't got no use for me then. I know what I'm talking about, you watch. And Irvin, he right there with the rest of them. He don't care nothing about me either. He'd been my manager for six years, and the only time he had me over his house was to sing for some of his white friends. Huh, I know how they do. Yeah, you colored and you can make them some money, then you all right with them. Otherwise, you just a dog in the alley. I'd have made them more money for my records and all them other recording artists they got put together, and then they want to bark about how much this session is costing them. I can't see how it's costing as much as they say. Shit ain't. I don't pay that kind of talk no mind. But the performance that I can't stop thinking about is Vanessa Kirby. She has to pay for her incompetence. Is this about money? No. Is it, is it about what, what people think? It's about you. It's about you having to face this. I am and... facing this. I am facing it. I am facing this. Well, I don't think you are. We need, we need some justice here. No, you need 
That is what you want. That is what you need. That is, that is your way. That is not my way. That is what you need. Martha, if you had done it my way, you'd be holding your baby in your arms right now. You know what, you, you're ashamed. You are so ashamed of me. You're ashamed because I failed. Oh, what a disgrace. Oh, what a disgrace. I failed. Pretty much after that, I, I'm, I'm with you. It would be Andre Day, Francis McDormand, and Carrie Mulligan. But I don't think Carrie Mulligan was as bad as you think she was in that movie. We'll get to it when we get to the, <laughs> the best <laughs> picture. No, but I, I absolutely, like I would, if there was a unisex award for best performance of the year, I would absolutely nominate Viola Davis for it. You make a good argument. Yeah, you're right. She wasn't necessarily the best actress. She was kind of a supporting role. But this is what I want from an Academy Award nomination slash award. I want a transformative performance where I either forget anything you've done in the past or I can't even tell that it's you. You know, like we're talking about Charlize Theron for Monster. We're talking about, uh, I mean, even watching Meryl Streep and Sophie's Choice, you're like, God dang, you know, like yeah. that is a performance that you even forget what she's done since. Viola Davis in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, I think, is one of those performances that can go down for ages. And when it comes to Vanessa Kirby, I know a lot of people, um, one, don't know necessarily who she is. She's kind of a newcomer to the scene. I remember seeing her in Mission Impossible and just kind of being like, oh, who's this? And then seeing her deliver this role. I have been on record saying that Pieces of a Woman, the first, the opening scene, which is 20 minutes before the title card yeah. of Pieces of woman is up there for me with Quentin Tarantino's opening scene for Inglorious Bastards. It is just, I could not look away. I could not get this feeling of dread out of my stomach. Like that was amazing filmmaking for the opening of Pieces of a Woman. And it's all long shots. It, it, it falls primarily on its three actors just to carry that along. Yeah, and they and directing like, and yeah, definitely. I mean, the, it's the that frenetic pace and all the steady cam and moving from room to room and yeah, it's 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 amazing. I think the rest of the movie is amazing too. And you said you thought that it fell off a little bit. I thought I thought it showed the the fall and rise following that tragedy. Thought it was remarkable from start to finish. All right, so moving on from that actor in a leading role, Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey. Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Steven Yun for Minari. I mean, I I think I literally texted you in the middle of watching um, Ma Rainey, and I was like, bro, I think this one's a wrap already. I can say yes, sir, to whoever I please. What you got to do with it? I know how to handle white folks. I've been handling them for 32 years. Now you gonna tell me how to do it? Just because I say yes, I don't mean I'm spooked up by him. I know what I'm doing. Let me handle it my way. Well, go on and handle it then. Tomito, you always messing with somebody. Always agitate somebody with that old philosophy bullshit you be talking. You stay out of my way about what I do and say. I'm my own person. Just let me alone. All right, all right, Levy, you right. I apologize. Ain't none of my business you spooked up by the white man. <laughs> all right, see, that's the shit I'm talking about. Y'all back up and leave Levy alone. Oh, come on, Levy. We was all just having fun. Toledo ain't said nothing about you. He ain't said about me. You just taking it all wrong. <laughs> ain't meant nothing by it, Levy. Levy got to be Levy. 
And you don't need nobody messing with him about the white. And you and I disagreed on whether or not the performance is good. I remember arguing pretty heavily for him in the immediate wake of watching it. Obviously, after seeing Hopkins and the father, I see why he won the BAFTA. It was fucking devastating. Um, and I'd be okay with him winning. But the performance that I can't stop thinking about is Riz Ahmad. Maybe it'll end up being Anthony Hopkins and Riz Ahmad will be the ones that I think about because I just watched The Father. So, <laughs> and it was a tough hang, I'm here to tell you. But um, yeah, I think it's going to go to Bozeman, which I'm fine with. But if if Hopkins wins, I would be okay with that as well. And if Riz Ahmad won, I think that would be really cool because that that movie speaks to the the human experience of not only overcoming addiction but overcoming this debilitating change to one's life and finding peace and it was really special. It sounds like we're in agreement that there's really only 3 contenders for this award out of the 5. And Anthony Hopkins to me has really been delivering his best work, kind of like the older that he gets, everybody remembers him for Hannibal Lecter from the Silence of the Lambs trilogy, but his past, well, I can't say his past two films because I don't know if he's done anything between them, but the two popes he was amazing in and <laughs> I'm not even a religious fellow, but that film like really surprised me of how well it was done and how well written and directed and acted it was and that was an uh, an award darling i might say that the father is anthony hopkins best work Ooh. exactly am i you you're anthony anthony yes anthony is nice name anthony don't you think very nice name. My mother gave it to me, I imagine. <laughs> Do you know her? Who? My mother. She? No. Oh. She has here. <laughs> she has such big eyes. <laughs> I can see her face now. She was... I hope she'll uh, come and see me sometime. Do you think, Mommy? He was saying she might come occasionally at the weekend. Your daughter? No. <laughs> Mommy. <laughs> I want my mommy. I want my mommy. I want to get out of here. <laughs> Have a, have someone come and fetch me. No, shh. No, no, I want my mummy. I want her to come and fetch me. I, I want to go home. What is it, Anthony? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> I feel as if I'm... I feel as if I'm losing all my leaves. Your leaves? Yeah. What do you mean? Oh, the branches and the wind and the rain. <laughs> I don't know what's happening anymore. <laughs> Do you know what's happening? 
I would probably put this over Hannibal Lecter. This film just gutted me. And maybe because it is one of my deepest, darkest fears of end of life, because I don't know. I mean, probably most of our listeners haven't watched it, but it's pretty much the viewpoint from somebody beginning to suffer from dementia. It's not from the caretaker's point of view, which would be Olivia Coleman. It is from Anthony Hopkins point of view. And it is devastating and scary. <laughs> yeah. And I, can't, I can't wait I, to talk more about it too. Okay. Um, but so uh, you already touched on Ahmed. Chadwick Boseman to me, and I just want to say it is, I think he's overacting in this role. Like I feel like out of everybody in the film and the film, a lot of films that were nominated this year were previous, were adapted or previously done as plays. And Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is no exception to that. Everybody else feels like they got the cue that this was going to be a cinematic role. And to me, Chadwick Boseman is acting to the last row. Bottom. (laughs) All right, Cutler. Let me see you fix that. Straighten that out. Slow drag. You hear this shit? I in the hell the fuck gonna do the part? I can't even talk. Who's you to tell me what to do, nigga? This ain't your band. Ma tell me to do it. I'ma do it. So you can go to hell, nigga. Boy, ain't nobody studying you. Color, go on and fix that. You fix that, and I'll shine your shoes for you. Go on and fix that one. If he wins, no, I don't even want to say it. I don't want to say it. <laughs> I just don't think, I don't think this is. Mm, what if he doesn't win though? Right. There's so much riding on this one because already Anthony Hopkins has won the BAFTA and people are shouting, you know, it's because the BAFTA's uh, only award or not only award, but have a history of going toward Caucasian actors. Let me guess These what you were going to say. I'll, I'll say it. I'll say it. A big reason that he's going to win is because he passed away. Now, Correct. Now, is that wrong? <laughs> I don't yes. know. Yes. <laughs> Just because you die doesn't mean that you acted well. Well, <laughs> it was the best performance. Like you look at Heath Ledger from The Dark Knight. And when that award was given out, I had a problem with it because, and granted, I don't think I still have seen every acting performance that he was up against. I was tickled pink that Robert Downey Jr. was nominated for Tropic Thunder. Like I was like, that is that is completely out of the Academy Awards comfort zone to be nominating uh, RDJ for that. But you look at Heath Ledger and that's exactly what I'm talking about with Viola Davis in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. It is a transformative role where you can't even tell who is underneath the makeup. You can't tell who the actor was. You you know, uh, it's definitely not the same guy from Broke Mountain. So to give it to Chadwick Boseman, who turned in a B performance just because he passed away, like this is not his best role. And it would necessarily be because he died. And I don't know if I'm going to keep any of this in. <laughs> well, I, I think it's honest, at least at the very least. I mean, a lot of people are probably thinking it without saying it. At least we're saying it. Um <laughs> I think he's better Riz than Riz Ahmad you. is the dark horse. Ah, oh, Jesus, Luke, come on. Ruben, Ruben. You hurt yourself? Ruben, you hurt yourself? You hurt me. I'll hurt myself too. I'll hurt myself too. Promise. Say it, Ruby, or all of this is for shit. Say it. Promise. Go back there right now. Promise. Say it. I promise if you. No, say it. Promise. Go back to that place. I only if I, I need I need you to wait for me. 
Okay, you're it for me, Lou. You're my fucking heart. You're it for me. Okay, you gotta wait for me. Fuck. Listen to me. Listen, listen. When you get there, I need you to. I need you to write to me, okay? Yeah, will you write me? Will you tell me you're okay? Huh? Promise me? And listen, if it's if it's bullshit, you just get your ass back here. I'll fix it, I swear to God. You know I'll fucking fix this. It's not that hard, okay? Just come back here. That, now you're now you're saying it incorrectly. You corrected me and now you're saying Ahmad. I kept saying Ahmad. Ahmed. 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 Um Ahmed. Um Ahmed. No, Boz, Bozeman is I think he's better than you think he is in this in this movie, but no, I mean but I I don't know if there's I mean when they gave Ledger the Oscar, it made me feel good. And I agree with you. I don't mm-hmm. think he a hundred percent deserved it, but you know, I mean it, it was basically a posthumous thank you to him. And that's what I think this would be for Chadwick Bozeman. I guess it's different in the case of someone who dies and they're a little older, like Conrad Hall when he passed away but won Best Cinematography for Road to Perdition. It's a little different. I, I don't think I, I didn't have that same smile on my face. I mean, I, I felt great about it, but it was just different. He, he Bozeman was such a young man with so much promise, and I don't know when you hear people talk about Bozeman. Same way with Ledger, you you hear such genuine feedback about the kind of person he was. And mm-hmm. uh, I listened to Martin Freeman talk about how literally no one knew that the man had colon cancer. He kept it completely to himself, just head down, work, work, work while I've got the time. And that's, I, I don't know, that's really, really cool in my opinion. He, he kept himself off the radar and, and put it all on the screen in a very similar way to Ledger. I mean, Ledger was always a subject of paparazzi photographing and all that shit. But I, I, I think it would be a nice gesture. If he doesn't win, obviously critics will cry foul uh, and the R word will more than likely be thrown around and the Academy will be criticized for, you know, you gave it to the white boy Ledger, but you can't give it to uh, a man of color when he wins or when he deserves it and passes away. So it'll be a big fat fucking mess if he doesn't win. I just, I did not like this performance at all. I think it's one of his weakest. To me, it would be kind of sad for his legacy if they awarded this one over anything else that he's done. Poor Gary and Steve. We haven't even talked about them, but unfortunately, I don't, I think they're non-entities. Wouldn't it be cool though, if Steven Yun like came out of nowhere and won? Oh my God. Like, I love that. Like, I love the story, you know, like, cause you would think like he was just a side, he wasn't a side character in the walking dead, but to see him now with his name in lights, like, yeah. Oh yeah. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that. I was like, can't believe the dude from walking dead is in this. Like, (laughs) yeah, I really liked how it starts out being a lot about Jacob, um, Steven Yun's character, but then it kind of becomes more about David, the son, the grandmother, and, and even about Monica. And Monica is his wife. These two switch roles. That that uh, the part where they're looking at the incinerator, and he asks uh, David asks his dad like, "What's that?" And he's like, "That's where they're discarded, the male chicks, because they don't taste good. So we have to make ourselves useful." And um, he just works so fucking hard, and it's so so frustrating. It's, it was so it was one of those movies. It was just one of those moments in movies where you're just like, I feel really frustrated, and I know that I'm just going to keep feeling frustrated. And sure as shit, the frustration continues. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I, that would be really cool if he was he was to come out and win, but I doubt it. I doubt it. But honored just to be nominated. All right. Um, so that was the acting roles, and we're going to move on to best director. So we got Thomas Vinterberg for another round, David Fincher for Mank, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, and Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman. Well, I have not seen another round. It is shot with a lot of Steadicam, a lot of handheld, very similar in cinematography to Nomadland, minus the, obviously, minus the, um, all the landscapes. I don't think it was best director worthy. I am really kind of bummed. I mean, it, it, first of all, the buzz is saying that that Chloe Zhao's got it locked up. I think it's a bummer that Florian Zeller wasn't nominated for The Father over another round, Thomas Vinterberg, or I don't know, or even for Emerald Fennel, but I probably would I probably would le- take out another round and put The Father in there. The, the, the direction of that film and the editing as well, just ridiculously good. I was so unnerved by it. And that's that's a real testament to to his uh his vision. I'm I'm glad that it looks like Fincher is not this isn't going to be be the year that he finally wins just because, you know, I like Mank. I don't love it. I like it, but I know that, you know, other cinephiles like you will chalk it up to the here we're sorry Oscar. I think the idea of the second woman winning best director is very cool. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't say it's like, I would say like, oh, here's your Oscar. I would say it's more like when La La Land didn't win, but it was sweeping the awards. I was kind of like, oh, Hollywood just loves films about itself. <laughs> like, I think that's, if they awarded David Fincher, I'd be like, oh, he made a Hollywood film about Hollywood and Hollywood likes to see themselves on screen. So that's, that's what I would chalk it up to. I don't think it's anything dealing with David Fincher's craft. Hmm. I do like, the only thing that I'll say about another round is... I do like one of my major criticisms of the Academy Awards is if you have a film that is nominated for Best Picture, normally all of those kind of like sprinkle into every single other category. And it doesn't seem like you're getting a good mix of the films from that year. So I do like the fact that it seems like another round just kind of slipped into the director's spot because it's not really, I don't think it's nominated for anything else other than direction. It was touching, you know, as some and, so, and as someone who uh, struggles with the with the bottle, it was um, was also eye opening. But um, it's not. And he's a teacher not, too, right? He is. Uh, he and all of his friends are teachers, and uh, and it's equal parts equal parts funny and sad. So, like you said, Chloe Zhao uh, pretty much locked it up for Nomadland. When we recorded in January, Nomadland had not been released to the mass public yet, but it was already getting buzzed that this was going to be the film to beat. And so I went into it with the highest of high expectations, and I feel like the expectation that it met was that this looked and felt like an Academy Award film. I didn't necessarily find it to be my favorite of the year, but I kind of walked away from it being like, yep, yep, <laughs> that, that's a competitor for best film of the year. I mean, you put, you get Francis McDormand on your screen for 90% of your film. You have an award contender. She is just phenomenal. She is like how we have talked about Denzel Washington, how we talked about uh, how I, you know, even in this episode with Viola Davis, like Francis McDormand is a great watch and she is a fantastic actress. Um, and she carries this film. What Zhao did, with what Zhao did too. That if I can interrupt you really quickly, that yeah. I think makes makes her a a top contender 
from what I've read, it sounds like the incorporation of all of the real rubber tramps into the film. And there are lots. And I do want to talk about this when we get to the best picture category. But she was able to take these people that weren't actors and give them not even just some of them, not even just bit parts like Swanky, for example. Uh, I, I just assumed that was an actress. And that's partially a testament to Frances McDormand. I mean, I'm sure that she just seems motherly. Like, I, I'm sure that if you were a non-actor and you were put into a scene with her, you know, she would take care of you. But I think it's also a testament to to Chloe Zhao's direction that I, I could tell in some cases. And then in the, you know, in the case of Swanky, I was like, it's, it's must have, I've never seen this woman before. I was actually kind of hoping Swanky would get a nod. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I love it. I love what you just said. And I'm absolutely, if they don't award it to Chloe Zhao, that's based off of the pool that they're choosing from. The only other one that I really like is Lee Isaac Chung from Minari. I would be totally cool with David Fincher winning Best Director, now that I think about it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, it's hard to talk about Best Director without talking about Best Picture, and we're just going to kind of bleed into that. So we might as well pop up to Best Picture. And this year, despite the fact that they could award 10 films, they felt that only eight deserved the nomination. And I would say only seven of these actually did. Um, Best picture is The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. And now that I read them, I might even take two away from this list and just go to a top six of the year. Hmm. Which is funny because back in January, one of the films that I would take away was the one that I was like, I guess it's just better than all the rest. And so I put it to the top. But the two that I would take away is Trial of the Chicago 7, which is my man, Aaron Sorkin, and I'm a stand for him. But this looking at the pool now, I don't think it it meets the standards. And then also Promising Young Woman was a film that I thought was nowhere close to being an Academy Award film. I'm surprised that it's got many of the nominations that it has. I was really hoping for like, uh, you know, the, I don't want to spoil anything, but the Promising Young Woman, what I guess could essentially be considered the, the beginning of the third act. I was, you know, watching it with my wife and we were like, oh, this is, this is where it's, this is it. This is, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sitting here and I think she even referenced it. She's like, it feels very Tarantino-y. I'm like, yeah, dude. Well, the revenge angle's there for sure. Um, but this is going to be that payoff of, of gore and, and it, uh, it's not that movie. It is. It was not that movie. And I was pleasantly surprised by that, but at the same time, really didn't like the tone of the final 10 minutes of the movie. I thought it it lost me in the last 10 minutes, maybe because it didn't give me what I wanted. And to me, Promising Young Woman was very sloppy. Like, I'm very surprised that Emerald Fennell got a Best Director nod. Um, And she was even very surprised when the nominations came out. Her Twitter just had one long fuck as her as her tweet um that's cool it the casting was weird to me it was very weird choices i feel like some of the actors could not handle their roles the direction was 
weird that <laughs> I'm going to just keep saying weird. The fact that like every time that you went back to the coffee shop, you had Carrie Mulligan standing at the counter and you had Laverne Cox leaning on the counter in like their exact same places with the exact same camera movements. It's almost like they shot every one of those scenes in the exact same day, just back to back to back and didn't change like any of the blocking or any of the direction there. Like it just, and then to the script to me was like two drafts away from being done. The actors in it are good actors, but some of the the line deliveries, I don't feel like some of the jokes they couldn't land. It was a very off-putting movie for me. And this is the one that I bought for $3. And I still felt like uh, I should have just kind of waited for, for cable. To me, it was a B movie. I don't understand why it's a darling. And even Carrie Mulligan, who you texted like, well, she was good, right? And I was like, yeah, she was good. But I mean, like you're putting her against Vanessa Kirby and Viola Davis. Like, is she really the fifth best even, you know, or higher? Like right now, Vegas Odds has her winning the Academy Award. Does she why deserve do you, it for probably? Why, no why do you suppose that is? Do you suppose that's because this is a film about a woman who is giving in to the anger and all of her suspicions about men are validated when Bo Burnham turns out to be a skis bag. Do you think that's it, that it's comforting to women or that it's not comforting? Do you think that it's- I, I would say there's no comfort. <laughs> no, 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 no. Do you think that it's cathartic? Because I don't know. I'm not a woman, but I guess I, I'm still more impressed with A, the performance of Vanessa Kirby and B, that storyline. Well, spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't seen Promising Young Woman, skip oh, forward shit. like forward. Yeah, forward for like five minutes because, and I'm going to, even if you listen to this, I'm going to try and present this in a way that it doesn't necessarily spoil the movie beat for beat. But did you ever see, it was a horrible horror movie. It was called Unfriended and it was all done from computer screens. I have not seen it. Okay, so Unfriended, if you really pay attention to kind of the message that it delivers, is similar to Promising Young Woman. And what Unfriended was, and I say similar, not exactly, but what Unfriended was, was pretty much teaching you that if you get bullied at school, you can kill yourself, come back as a ghost, and kill everybody else. And with Promising Young Woman, I felt it was like similar because this woman essentially destroys her own life to get revenge for somebody who had uh, had her life destroyed. So yes, there's kind of like a, uh, a heroic revenge martyr story, but in the end, she doesn't win either. But the last couple of beats are supposedly uplifting. I don't know if that's what you were talking about with the tone, but this movie just felt off to me. I didn't feel like I could celebrate it, and I didn't feel like necessarily um, I could root for the message that it was trying to convey. It's a good point. I'm not even quite sure what the message is. Is is the message seek revenge and then uh, have a backup plan in case it goes south? <laughs> <laughs> and those, uh, I mean, we're spoiling it. So, you know, the text messages at the end were just so, I don't know. Maybe it was the music. Maybe it was the... Just call me It felt cutesy. It didn't feel like, you know, there was so much, there was such a sinister nature in Mulligan's performance, starting with that opening scene where all of a sudden she opens her eyes and speaking clearly. I was like, oh shit. I was hooked at that point. And it, it did, it did, uh, th that ending didn't carry that, that same tone. I don't know. I don't it's, know. Yeah. I'd knock, I'd it was knock almost it like a horror movie being directed by like the Farrelly brothers. And really like, no, that's not a knock against the Farrelly brothers because they're really good at what they do. But the tone of the movie just 
felt all over the place. And really, if we're talking about an Academy Award film, and Emily touched on it in one of her episodes, like rarely does the Academy get it right where the best film of the year is awarded. But normally, the Academy gets it right where it's hard to knock any imperfections in a film that is put up at the pedestal. You know, like even Mank is not a film that I necessarily enjoy, but the craftsmanship behind it is undeniable. Oh, yeah. And I feel like the craftsmanship behind Promising Young Woman leaves a lot to be questioned. Okay, that's fair. I agree with you about um, trial, trial of Chicago Seven as well. I think yeah. that that movie I haven't thought of. I haven't thought of it nearly at all. Um, it, it, we can we can. I mean, I, Mank's not going to win, so we can knock Mank off the list. I can't speak to Judas and the Black Messiah, but it doesn't sound like you would keep that at, on the list either. You said it was um, said it was like a four out of five. Yeah, I would. That's it's not one that should win, but it's definitely. Especially with like the story that it told, I was really, I was really happy that this was made into a film. Um, it's hard, as you know, to be completely honest. It was a Cleveland film, and I always carry a special place in my heart for anything that my friends have worked on. So I don't know if that's going to cloud my judgment, but I. As far as films of the year, I would recommend Judas and the Black Messiah just because also the performances of Kluya and Stanfield are just that is like the best duo, I think, of the year. I can't wait to see it. Um, I don't want to oversell it, though. <laughs> the, the father. Let's just talk about that briefly. Not going to win, but man, what, 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 a, what, a, what a movie. Date of birth? Friday, 31st of December, 1937. <laughs> You're living with your daughter at the moment? Yes, until she goes to live in Paris. No, Dad, why do you keep going on about Paris? You told me. No, I didn't. I'm sorry, Anne, you told me the other day. Have you forgotten? She's forgotten. <laughs> Paris. They don't even speak English there. <laughs> Dad, I'd like you to meet Laura. How oh, do you do, sir? I say, you're gorgeous. Thank you. <laughs> I must say, he's charming. Yeah, not always. Laura has come round to help you. I don't need her or anyone else. I can manage very well on my own. Everything all right? Who are you? Actually, it's me, Paul. Who? I live here. What is this nonsense? Anne? It's me. Ah, there she is. Your father seemed a bit confused. Something wrong? Where's Anne? Sorry? Anne, where is she? I'm here. What's the matter, Dad? Strange things going on around us. Don't worry. Everything will sort itself out. Saw it in his eyes. Didn't know who I was. It was like I was a stranger to him. Just did something to me. I don't know what she's cooking up against me, but she's cooking something up. What are you talking about, Dad? I'm not leaving my flat! I am not leaving my flat! This really is my flat. Isn't it? You see, the situation is very simple. My daughter is of the opinion that I cannot manage on my own. I'm so sorry about this. Why? She understands perfectly. It's important. I explained it all to you. Why do you keep looking as if there's something wrong? Everything is fine. I think she tries to do the best she can for you, Anthony. Everything will be all right. I promise you. There's something funny going on. And good runtime too, I might add. I think it's like a 93, 93 minute runtime. Uh, it doesn't overstay its welcome. Um, uh, I would say that it it is 
crafted in such a way, like you said, it's through through the eyes of a man who's, and I would disagree with you that he's starting to experience dementia. I think he's, uh, I think when the film picks up, he is already uh, past the point of, of no return, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but you don't really glean that for the first maybe 15, 20 minutes of the movie until you're put in his shoes and things start getting weird. And- it, it it's it's horrifying i mean it, it's a horror movie it's, it's it's psychologically damaging like i i was watching it this morning I, my goddamn cat woke me up so i've been up since 245 and i'm watching it and it's i'm all alone and it, it was yeah like i started i started thinking to myself if i want to even get that old like if i find myself clutching at my chest like shit this is it the big one and instead of having my life flash before my eyes, I think I'd just think about the father and be like, well, I'm not going to have to go through that. <laughs> yeah. I, the, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard film. It's hard to think that, you know, I mean, if you look at it, it is done from Anthony Hopkins point of view where most of these stories, it kind of reminded me of still Alice. Do you remember that one with Julianne Moore? I remember it, but I didn't see it. That one was tough for me because Julianne Moore kind of resembles my mother. And I was like, Oh man, like, I mean, my father died of brain cancer and nearing the end, he started forgetting the faces of his family members and whatnot. And that's hard for the caregivers to, to go through. But then when you think about it with this film about what essentially the person is going through. Yeah, you're right. Like I'm a huge proponent of Oregon's euthanasia laws. And I just, uh, if I start getting to a point where I'm about to lose myself and lose the person that I've worked on for 85 years, I end me now <laughs> end me then and just let me go as I am. I mean, everything about it was good. The music, the, I thought the cinematography, the film work, camera work, the framing, um, really, I mean, it, 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 it makes you, I don't know, man. I mean, it was making me sweat. <laughs> And it was, I didn't, I didn't know what was real until, you know, you kind of start to, to figure it out by the ending, you know, why he's having these kinds of, I mean, hallucinations, I guess you could call them, mm -hmm. or I guess they're not hallucinations. They feel like hallucinations. Um, but the, the, the way he's putting certain people into these certain parts, um, that misremembering faces, I don't know. And can I just say that Olivia Williams has aged so wonderfully? I mean, she doesn't look much older than she did when she was in Rushmore or Sixth Sense. She looks amazing. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to win. No, but another one that's not going to win that also gave visceral feelings was, I think, our darling, which is Sound of Metal. You sound great. Yeah, right. What? You're telling me you weren't feeling it? You were in it. We don't need to put them all out. I know, but we just need to film hearing is deteriorating rapidly. We'll come back. Till then, Lou, we just keep going, okay? No. Lou, no. let's play tomorrow. Let's see what it's like, okay? I'm gonna be like a click track. You can play to me. You have to understand your first responsibility is to preserve the hearing you have. I can't hear you. Do you understand me? I can't. I'm deaf. I'm deaf. 
it's important that you stay here with us right now, Ruben. We're looking for a solution to, to this. Not this. I need you to wait for me, okay? You're it for me, Lou. You're my part. You're it for me, okay? You gotta wait for me. keep moving it can be a damn cruel place but those moments of stillness Yeah, that's, yeah, Sound of Metal's not going to win. I really like that one. This to me, I remember, so when I put on Sound of Metal, I think I was probably down in the dumps watching back-to-back films of things that I just, I think I had turned off to Five Bloods after like 45 minutes and just told you, I'm not going to watch the rest of this film. I can already, if it wins anything, I'm going to be kind of pissed off. And then you were like, all right, switch over. Sound of Metal is on Amazon Prime. And so I was like, okay. And so put on Sound of Metal and within five minutes, I'm hooked. I'm feeling uncomfortable. The the sound design in the film. Normally, I don't re- even really like pay attention to sound design <laughs> as kind of like an award. Like it's it's beyond my realm of understanding of how good these people are. I always kind of think of sadly like Transformer films because when the Transformers when the machines are transforming, there's so much sound going on that I'm like mesmerized that somebody is there in their craft meticulously planning out all the sound the sound design of sound of metal is so off-putting and so award-worthy that i can't even describe it partner that with a great script that doesn't blast you over the head with the message but you know that you are getting the message about addiction about transformation of your life about you know like horrible things happening to someone and them having to try to pick which route they're going to take based off of that um this film is just this is i'm so glad that uh the academy found this film and is putting it on the international stage for more people to look at it because normally i think like a film like this like an art film would kind of slip underneath the radar it was a word of mouth film i the only reason i found out of his existence was i heard about it talked on a podcast that i listened to so but uh, yeah i can't add much to what you're saying all of the acting and it is amazing i think it's a one that i unfortunately i probably won't revisit i would watch it again if i was with somebody that never saw it that would like to see it but it's probably not one i'm going to see again it's strange how indelible some of the images from the movie still are in my head i I mean i still can't forget it i think the father is probably going to uh probably going to also take up that same mantle i think we can both agree that nomadland's gonna win right Mm -hmm. superficially speaking it's 
a marvel of cinematography. The director of photography, Joshua James Richards, will probably win uh, for that award. Problem is, I can't tell with Nomadland. This is my big my big beef with it is I can't tell if it would have been better as a documentary. It is based on this long form journalism, which I'm a huge fan of. In fact, uh, Nomadland would be a book I would kind of like to check out. But within that book, the the source material, the character that Francis McDormand plays, Fern, there's no Fern because it's not the the movie created Fern so that it could have some kind of an anchored story, I suppose. And McDormand's amazing, and her character is born of re- this realistic fiction, but her character is is augmented as we were talking about before by the presence of those real life folks, the real rubber tramps like Swanky and Linda and Bob. Um, and then after watching it, I think it would have been better as a documentary because I find I find all of the scenes with them more interesting than Fern's arc. I can't tell if it's about getting fucked over and losing your job and the state of the United States and the middle class and the lower class classes, whatever. I can't tell if it's about that or if it's like being true to yourself because it sounds almost it sounds almost like Francis McDormand's character was destined to be this loner, this vagabond. Did you get that feeling? Like she she refuses to take any kind of support from anybody and um, refuses and think, all these all these hands reaching out to her? Yeah, I think it's kind of a slice of life film. And what I liked about it was, so when I lived in LA, LA has a huge homeless quote unquote problem. And I remember I found, you ever, you read the book when you were younger with I Love You Forever with the little boy who's about to drop the watch down the toilet on the cover. No. Okay. It's a very sweet children's book, but I found it in my backyard with kind of like a confession to a murder scribbled on it in orange crayon. Obviously a homeless person dropped it off. I lived right next to a camp. And so I called the police. And when the police came, I was like, it might be evidence to something. And he was like, okay, okay. And I was like, so like, what's, let's talk about the homeless problem. And he's like, well, the pro it's not really a problem because 60 to 70% of these people want to be homeless. And then you have about 20% that are mentally handicapped and 10% uh, can't. And these percentages probably were all made up on the spot. But the, the point of it was a lot of these people to choose to live off of the grid. And I think that's kind of what you're looking at when it comes to Francis McDormand. And I think it's supposed to be kind of confusing to all of us who decide to live, you know, surrounded by four walls and a roof. And it's kind of the same thing with uh, when she refuses to live in the house, you know, and she goes and she sleeps out in her van like this is who she is and this is how she's comfortable. And really, these people have tapped into something you know, they tapped into their own happiness where a lot of us are running in this rat race, trying to keep these four walls and a roof, trying to pay off our property taxes, trying to pay the man. And these nomads have found kind of the meaning in life in sleeping underneath the stars and just making money when they need to make repairs to their cars. I found it a very interesting slice of life. And, to, and on your point, would, would it be better as a documentary? Probably. Would it find the audience that it did if it wasn't? Probably not. You know, like I feel like it needs to be this Chloe Zhao needed to make it into a a fictional film with Francis McDormand in order for more people to go out and see that there is 
a class of people that are living happily out in the fields and having, you know, campfires at night and sharing silverware. And just while we're all looking at the stars and even at the Oscars, it's going to be funny if they reward Nomadland because the person going to be accepting the award is probably wearing a $200,000, you know, like jewelry or something. How do you explain she refuses to take the dog in? She has this like little mini, you can sense the panic in her voice when she's holding the baby and she's like, don't go far or don't leave me. There's this very selfish sense about her that I don't mm-hmm. like. I, that, I think that's probably what, what turned me off from the character of Fern subconsciously. I, I, there's Yeah, there's that very selfish, like, I don't want to be a part of society. Maybe it's not even that. I don't know. Maybe it was the dog thing. Because when I was like, it's well, very, she's, I mean, she's going to go back for that dog. And then she didn't go back for the fucking dog. It's like, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very just independent. And it's very, I don't want to be responsible for anything but myself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We live in a society that is very, well, in American society, it's very materialistic. It is very codependent on where you get your information and how you get your information. And just very codependent on having information. And I think what Nomadland kind of points out beautifully is probably the meaning of life has nothing to do with what we are currently obsessing over. You are one of those lucky people that can travel anywhere. Yes, ma'am. And they sometimes call you nomads. My mom said that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. My husband worked at the USG mine in Empire. I was a substitute teacher. It is a tough time right now. You may want to consider early retirement. I need work. I like work. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Welcome to Badland Spa. What the nomads are doing is not that different than what the pioneers did. Hey, Fern! Gotta make the hole bigger. <laughs> I think Fern's part of an American tradition. Oh, he's gonna come right through the glass. My dad used to say, what's remembered lives. I maybe spent too much of my life Fern! just remembering. One of the things I love most about this life is that there's no final goodbye. I've met hundreds of people out here, and they don't ever say a final goodbye. They just say, I'll, I'll see you down the road. And I do. I see them again. And I can be certain in my heart, I'll see you again. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Chloe Zhao will win for best director, but uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say Minari takes picture. I don't mind that. And I think the only reason why I would say Minari doesn't take Beck's picture is because they just awarded Parasite last year. And that would be two Asian films in a row. And I, I feel horrible saying that, but I feel like the Academy does play 
didn't Latin Apologies. direct didn't Latin directors win like four years in a row? It was like Guillermo once, Alfonso Cuaron once, and then uh, Inaritu. Didn't he win twice? But that's directors. I don't think they're going to give two foreign language films in a row or two international films. What, however you want to put it. You want to make a gentlemanly bet as I almost fall off my chair? We can. Or you could join the 13th annual Academy Award pool. Fuck that. I'll, I'll bet a, I'll bet a straight up. How about this? Why don't we do a, um, let's do a $50 Amazon gift card. Yeah. No, you don't like that idea. <laughs> how about, <laughs> I was trying to, cause how you're about, a very oh, big Detroit Red Wings fan. And so I was going to say, I will buy a Detroit Red Wings jersey if I lose. And then I was going to say, you had to buy a jersey of the Browns if you lose. Oh, I would love to own a Browns jersey. Do you want to do that bet then? I think it's probably similar. It's probably like 70 bucks. Uh, hockey jerseys are really expensive. I'll buy a Browns jersey if Nomadland wins. I'll take the bet even though the Detroit Red Wings jersey is probably more expensive because I don't really necessarily think that I am going to lose. And neither does Vegas or any of the rags. Well, did they pick Parasite last year? Yeah, that's right. Get shit on. I think so. No, they didn't. I mean, I know. 1917. Get out of here. Well, that's a good thing that that didn't win. I agree. Now that this episode is over, well, actually, before we finish, I want to mention my favorite films of the year. Pieces of a Woman, of all the nominees, is probably my favorite. I think I got to add The Father to that list as well. But some of the ones that didn't get recognized, like The White Tiger, only got nominated for Adapted Screenplay. If you have an opportunity to sit down and watch The White Tiger on Netflix, it is tremendous. It is about a low-cast Indian boy who grows up and becomes a driver for what is essentially corrupt politicians tied up with the mob. And that's all I'm going to say because it it's quite a yarn. Uh, Palm Springs, the uh, Andy Samberg starring Hulu original, 40-year-old version, which uh, is can be found on Netflix as well. I'm thinking of ending things and then uh, The Invisible Man. Of course, I would also say The Vast of Night, but those are probably my favorite ones that I saw this year. I didn't produce a list. Um, my favorite watch probably out of all the Academy of Films, and this will tell you exactly kind of how I view the Academy Awards, but maybe one of my favorite watches is The Trial of the Chicago 7. I just don't believe that it should be nominated as much as it has. I just thoroughly enjoyed sitting down and ingesting that film. Pieces of a Woman, I think the first 20 minutes is the best filmmaking of the year, and I would ride that wave to the end. Minari and the Father, I think, are my top two films of the year over over Nomadland. Sound of Metal is probably what I would recommend the most to the most amount of people with Trial of the Chicago 7. And then my favorite kind of social message film of the year, I think, uh, one that we didn't talk too much about today's show, but I really enjoyed the writing and the execution of One Night in Miami. Yeah, and I, uh, I'd i have to give that one another watch because it did not impress me other than the uh, back and forths with uh, Malcolm X and Sam Cooke. To me, it just tackled, I think race is probably the second most complicated conversation of the country. And I think it tackled many of the viewpoints that you possibly could in less than two hours. So I was very intrigued and found that delightful as part of that movie. But I think the writing, the acting in it is amazing. 
and I really enjoyed the two hours there. I'll give it a rewatch. I guess that's it. And now we are free to plan up our season two, which, you know, for those of you who are actually wondering where we've been, season two probably will drop right around the same time this year as season one did last year, somewhere around... What did we say? Late August? Let's just say fall. Fall. Okay. I like that. I always forget <laughs> about that season because I don't really have Autumn. that season here. Oh, yeah. This whole summer we'll be writing and recording and uh, yeah, I'm excited to get into that. And if you have any award recommendations, we do have a list, but nothing is in stone until it's recorded and then published, I guess, because we also recorded back in January and then it published. So, uh, yeah, any recommendations, any movies that you want us to eviscerate, let us know, and we will we will get at it. Well, that wraps it up, I suppose. I'm Lee. I'm Spro. The Academy Awards are April 25th. Didn't you have a saying, like, see yeah. you when the envelopes open or something? Oh, no. I was going to say, and if you didn't like our picks for the awards, just remember, that's just like our opinion, man. I don't like that one. <laughs> yeah, that, that, well, it's, it's a placeholder. <laughs> uh and hope to see you sitting front row when the envelopes are opened.